everyone, my name is Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. where we talk about fan fiction. Each episode, each of us brings one fic to discuss. This week, my pick is going to be Stately Homes of Wilshire by Waspavi. It's a Draco Harry fic, and I'm super excited about it. Folks, this is the beginning of Brenna's Dreary Corner. Brenna's Dreary Corner. (laughs) It's all fun and games until she spins off. (laughs) (laughs) Until she leaves us. Yeah, Yeah, until I leave. No, but please look forward to future installments of this. I do. Um, I have... Just so much dreary <laughs> in my bookmarks. I have a, lot um, of, a lot of feelings about my first fandom. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love these boys. I'm excited to talk about this fic. Uh, Reads, what's yours? Uh, my pick for this episode is What's Mine is Yours and What's Yours is Gone by Invading Thoughts. It's a Rooster Teeth Achievement Hunter fic. Very, very different from the one that we read for our first episode. Uh-huh. Um but it also involves Michael Jones. Uh, wild. Ooh. Yeah. Look forward to it. Nick? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also have a fic. Um, so my fic is called The Undiscovered Country by someone whose AO3 name may or may not be Indigusto Hillet. Listen, <laughs> hey, listeners, if you have any recommendations for fics by people who have names I can pronounce, <laughs> hit me up. Um, this fic is for that classic fandom that I know we've all been in at one point or another. Um, Shakespeare's Hamlet. <laughs> Literally Shakespeare's Hamlet. Um, it's a Hamlet Horatio fic. Um, and I look forward to discussing it at the end of this episode. Well, other than these fics that we've read for FitClick, uh, what have you been up to the last couple weeks? I have not been reading very much, to be honest, because it is November as we record this and release it. Incredible. Um, <laughs> staying current. And <laughs> I am, as I do every year, participating in National Novel Writing Month. So I have been writing my little butt off um, for been- all of the days of this month since our last episode recording. You've been crushing it. Oh, thanks. Your word count is impressive and a little bit scary. Thank you. I see everyone else with like it in their Twitter bio. <laughs> and some of them are small, some of them are medium. Uh-huh. And then they come like, holy shit. <laughs> it's yeah. been a good month, I guess. I don't know. I'm not usually this far ahead, but it's been fun. November is like my favorite month of the year in a lot of ways, specifically because of this. Like I always jokingly describe it as the best time of the year, but it kind of is. Like I kind of lock down my social calendar um, as much as I can, and I just write and when I'm hanging out with people I'm writing and like it's I don't know it's a fun way to like prioritize this thing that's really important to me that's like not for anybody else it's just for me so I've been having fun I'm running across a few different projects I'm doing thick this year so I'm not doing it like traditional nano but um it's been really fun yeah if you're also doing nano hit me up let me know how it's going. This is going to release um, at one of the hardest parts. So <laughs> if you want like a pep talk or something, tweet us at FitClick on Twitter and I will send you words of encouragement and maybe also commiseration. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I've been up to. What about y'all? Um, I've been doing, I guess, fic writing adjacent activities. <laughs> um, for the first time ever, I signed up for Yuletide. Yes. Which 
I had been like sort of peripherally aware that it existed, but I didn't actually really know what Yuletide was until this year because of you, Nick. Um, uh-huh. I was complaining about wanting more f- <laughs> for a small <laughs> fandom, and you were like, "Hey, do you, did you consider checking out Yuletide?" Um, you so- sure did check it out. <laughs> oh, yep, and checked the- it out real good. And then I signed myself up for it. Um, so. The person that I got matched with, um, we got matched on a video game. Um, actually, two different ones that they listed are ones that I've played and really enjoyed. <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> very, very vague spoilers. Vague, yeah. yeah. Um, video games. <laughs> ooh, those video games. But yeah, so I've been doing, I've been doing some like playing of games. I've been doing some like watching of let's plays and just like digging into sort of wikis and whatnot. Um, trying to figure out, honestly, what story I want to tell. Um, Specifically for one of the games, there's like a lot of lore that I think is fascinating, and my brain is going about a million different directions with where I could go with it, and I'm- Peggle. Ooh, you're right! Ooh, the lore of Peggle! (laughs) (laughs) It's like the the little dots, and you have to- Yeah. Dots Uh, was not helpful. I don't know how to explain this game. Brenda's not a gamer. What are you talking about? Gamers only in this household. Gamers only. Hey, I thought it was jocks only. Also jocks. Uh, Only jocks gamers. Um, All this to say, I've been having fun, I guess, with my Yuletide research, and also I'm a little bit afraid because, oh boy, I sure haven't narrowed down literally anything, and I need to get working on that. I guess I have about a month um, at the time of recording eh, this. You'll be fine. Oh, I'll, I mean, I'll get I'm it done. mine to the last minute. No. <laughs> I have also signed up for Yuletide. I have done exactly zero research or writing for it yet. <laughs> um, I do know what fandom I'm writing for because it was the only one that me and my person matched on. <laughs> um, I think I sort of know what I'm going to do with it. I got to rewatch some stuff. I'm sort of dreading it. <laughs> Even though it's a fandom I offered, I there are parts of canon I love and parts of canon I'm like, who boy, that was bad. So, also Peggle. Also, <laughs> oh, it's Peggle. It's about Peggle. <laughs> I'm just re-watching Peggle? Yeah. <laughs> no, but as I've been procrastinating my Yuletide project, or projects, we'll see what I can get around to. Um, <laughs> I did some snooping on other people's lists and a treat. There's a couple things. I think that they're so good. But do I trust myself to actually get them done? No. <laughs> but while I've been procrastinating, I have now read all of Astolat's Witcher fix. Um, I feel devastated that there isn't more and I don't really know what to do with myself. So if you have other Witcher fic wrecks or just things that you're like, wow, I think Bruno would really like this. Please send them to me. I don't know what to do. Without it. It was so freaking good. She's so sad. Reed and Nick watched one of my face journeys as I sort of finished the last one I had to read. Um, Oh, boy, listeners. Oh, boy. So good. So freaking good. Okay, one one day I will bring one to this pod, but I can't talk about Astolat every week. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I've been up to. Hit me up with Rex. Or commiserate. Yes. Tell me about your fake bread. Okay, I okay, will. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's called Stately Homes of Wilshire. It's by Waspabi. Um, it's written in 2016, so it's yeah. a fairly recent dreary fic. Um, I feel like it really sort of captures a lot of quintessential dreariness, but keeps it feeling updated and fresh, and I really, really freaking love it. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Um, 
There are some content warnings for this. There is some implied graphic violence. Um, there is some sort of detailed character injury that happens. Nothing that no one, nothing that anyone can't recover from um, when the recoveries are pretty speedy and aided by magic. Um, there are also references to canon violence and trauma, like things that happened during the war. Um, there's also, I don't really know, I don't really even know how to say this one. Um, there's a moment in the fic where Draco realizes that he and Harry, through their ancestral bloodlines, are connected. Um, it's a fairly distant connection, one that is mostly just joked about in the fic and is not treated as incest between them. But, you know, if that's something that's high up on your no-go list, it's something to be aware of before you maybe jump into this fic, because it does get mentioned. Um, for this fic in particular, though, it's set in, like, my favorite era of Drary fic, which is shortly after the war. <laughs> um, it's not eighth year fic, though. It's set when they're about 22, so about four years after the war. Um, Harry is an Auror, as he is in many fics. Draco is mostly just trying to fix the manor. Um, Harry and his Auror partner, who in this fic is a girl named Morag, I think that's how you say her name. Um, she's someone who is sort of like a fan in OC. She appears a lot. Her name was in one Harry Potter book, but people sort of just make up who she is. Um, they get assigned a case at the Malfoy Manor, which seems like poltergeists. Uh, Harry's the one who ends up most doing most of the investigating. Um, during that time, he ends up helping Draco fix up the manor. And, oh, wow, boop boop doo spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> they fall in love! What? Ah, I, I almost said that one coming. Since when? I almost said, and he fixes Draco's heart. Which is, like, not true, but... <laughs> wow, that's beautiful, <laughs> I though. loved it, though, Reed. Thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, I picked this fic for many reasons. I really wanted to do Drary. It's truly, like, sort of my only OTP. <laughs> I am definitely, like, a multi-shipper and will read for almost any fandom, but Drary is the one that I, like, come back to time and time again and have been for most of my fandom life. It yeah. wasn't, like, my first fandom, but it's probably the fandom I've sort of, like, been reading for the most regularly yeah. for the longest. It's very dear to me. I feel like this fic hits so much of what I love about the pairing and the potential for fic for them. Um, I think it does a really good job of some of the things I love seeing the most in a Harry Potter fic, which are, like, expanding on the magic of the world. Um, really, like, delving into how magic can interact with, like, inanimate stuff or, like, seemingly inanimate stuff. Um, most notably, like, places and their houses. In this one, a lot of it is Malfoy Manor. Um, I think it does an excellent job of making them and their friends into real people and funny, sensitive 22-year-olds who have been through a ton of shit, but are just very relatable, real people. Mm -hmm. um, and real, like, friend groups, too. It has such good dynamics between um, both their sort of individual friend groups and when they have to, like, connect and overlap. It's so freaking funny. Um, I also think this fic does a great job of being both funny and serious. Uh, it has great comedic timing, and the way it writes Draco in particular, like, cracks me up. Yeah. <laughs> he's such a likable character in this, even when he's not perfect, and I think that's the best way to write Draco. Um... 
And I think it just does a great job of allowing them to realize their similarities and shared experiences, even as they continue to be very different, unique people. And that's what I love about Drary. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, I have like a million things I could talk about, but um, you guys have notes too. What? Sure do. Why don't you start us off? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Either one. (laughs) Great. I will start. Um, one general note about, I think, what you just talked about with Drary. Um, listeners, I'm not very familiar with Drary. This is the second Harry Potter fic that I've ever read in my life. Um, I did read the Harry Potter books in middle school, um, all of them in, like, one week in eighth grade. So my, my recollection of them is not amazing. Um, I have always been peripherally aware of Harry Potter fic, of Drary, of that being, like, a huge thing for a long time. I was like, ah, fandom and it's white boys. Um, and then I read this fic and now I'm <laughs> feeling a lot of feelings. Um, I, I am a dreary truther now, which really scares me. Uh, I feel fear. I've done the Lord's work today. Yeah, but I think one of the things that really struck me about this fic in particular was one of my favorite tropes, just like in general, is like people who hurt each other reconciling years later and like finding things about each other that they like – Love, which is really wild because I don't know that that really presents in my life. I'm I'm very much like a, okay, this relationship is bad. We're done kind of a person. But I find something really romantic about this idea that like there's a person maybe in your life that you can't shake. And that like, even if they're not like someone who is always 100% good for you, there's still someone that like is incredibly important to you. And that I don't think presents always the same way that it does in this fic and the tropes that I love. But a lot of what I did love was this idea that like, they have been each other's person in some capacity for so long, even if that capacity like, was not often good. That now when they're like confronted with each other again, they have all of this knowledge of each other, they have all of this understanding of their dynamic works, but they're also able to see into each other as just like human beings who went through a lot of stuff that was horrible and actually ended up having a lot more in common than they thought they did. And like this weird obsession that they had with each other as like childhood rivals actually can turn into something where like, oh, my understanding of who you are and my understanding of who I am in relation to you doesn't have to be a thing that is bothersome or irritable or hurtful. That's the main thing I think that really that really got me about this fic. There's a lot of other things to love that we'll get into, but I think really like I consider sort of the thesis of this fic to be like you don't have to be the person that you were when you were like 15 and a scared kid in the middle of trauma, um, but you can let who that person was like inform who you're going to be. I don't know. I just think yeah. that's really lovely. Brian, it's funny that you said you were like a little bit, I guess, nervous. I understood because Nick, like what she had said about Drary, um, that like why you were like nervous about presenting this to her. Because for me, I like I said, this fic I literally wrote in my notes that it feels like coming home to, like, an old family friend's place where it's warm and comforting and intimately familiar in so many ways, even if it's not, like, the familiarity of my own home. It's my summer house that you're visiting. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's my summer it's house like, in the dreary chasm. <laughs> but it's, like, it's like my old summer home almost in a way. Yeah. For we me, both used to live there. We both. <laughs> oh, this Ooh. extended metaphor. Oh, my God. They were um, roommates. <laughs> um... Yeah, I, as previously stated on this podcast, I tend to be, like, a one fandom type person, and my first introduction to fandom was, my first introduction to fic in general was, I don't know how, but I stumbled across, like, a 
largely Dre, but a Harry Potter fanfiction site. And I was like, what is this? And then I was like, oh my God, this thing called fanfiction, it's amazing. Um, and I spent many, many, many years um, in Harry Potter fandom, but specifically in Dreary fandom, um, kind of growing up with it with the books. Like I started reading it before all the books were done. Sort of circling back to what I was saying about how this fic feels like coming home to an old family friend's place. Part of that is because it's the familiarity of coming back to this fandom that I loved, but part of it is the way in which these characters are written. To me, this fic takes the best part of canon. It takes the characters that we loved. It shows us like what we loved about them, the bits, the truest bits of them, I think. It takes it and then expands upon it. Um in a way that J.K. Rowling never could. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just, it felt like so true to who they were. And then it was this sort of natural progression of like, okay, what would it look like if we took these characters um, a few years after the war and followed sort of the path that canon gave us with Harry being an Auror and all of that, and then improved it <laughs> um, and took the parts of like Fanon, I think, that most of the fandom is latched onto and sort of integrates the canon parts of them that we love, and then also giving us a, I don't want to say a better version of themselves, because I think there's a lot of ways that post-war fic can go, mm -hmm. but it shows us a version of them that I really loved. Yeah, I really liked, um, I was introduced to this concept called Epilogue What Epilogue um, by oh, Brenna. No, I just texted you E-W-E, and I thought you might ask me, are you No, I got it, I got it. Okay. <laughs> you, you had said epilogue, what epilogue before. Okay, um, okay. And so I was like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, I was like, I'm a genius. texting you. <laughs> of course. Um, but I honestly really liked the ways in which this fic, yeah, like, changed the epilogue, but didn't toss it out completely. Like, reading about Harry being an Auror and just, like, not liking it, but doing it because it was what he was supposed to do, was, like, A, so fascinating on a meta level of, like, Harry being in this, like, epilogue-assigned job and hating it. <laughs> um, but also just, like, so good for his character, too, of someone who, like, there's one point where Draco yells at him, you're not a weapon, during this huge blowout fight um, toward, like, maybe two-thirds into the fic, toward the end-ish. Um, or I just had to, like, stop and sit back and gasp because, like, that is such a thing. Like, there's a point where Draco's, like, pissed off at Dumbledore just, like, because Harry said something about what he was, like, this is what I was made for. Like, all of this idea about how being the chosen one. Um, yeah, he saved the world, but at what cost? Um, no. ooh, <laughs> ooh. Yeah, I mean, in, this, in slightly less dramatic terms. Um, he did have to give up so much choice and so much even like room to be selfish or even happy um and draco who we talked about this a little bit right he's mm -hmm. he like is a selfish character who's looking at harry and cannot fathom like giving up the things that make him happy of which there are few in this fic um he's clinging so stubbornly to this house that's like falling apart while harry's just like ah, i guess i better be an aura now i'm supposed <laughs> to i'm good at dark magic i better do this Ooh, i dread go to work going to work every single day though and i dread like seeing people be tortured and seeing blood and all this stuff like absolutely hate it ah another day on the job <laughs> <laughs> it's what i'm here to do so right. i gotta go to work because no one's challenging him on it because like yeah it's what he's supposed to do until he and draco reconnect and actually the fact that they butt heads is a really good thing because mm -hmm. they see these things in each other that other people are not like pushing them on i think that's interesting though to sort of say like 
oh, Draco's the one who's, like, a little bit selfish. And I think that is true to, like, Draco's characterization and sort of what he advocates in Harry. Mm -hmm. But we also see Draco as someone who didn't get much of a choice. Yeah. Like, they can definitely see that in each other. And I think it allows them to see it more clearly in themselves as well. Because just as Draco's mad about Harry not having gotten a choice in so many of the things that he went through and so many of the things that he, like, was asked or made to do throughout their, like, school experience and the war, Draco also didn't really get much of a choice. Like, yes, both of them made choices. Both of them could have said no at certain points, but that was never going to be, like, a clear or easy option. Um, And I think, like, one thing that this fic does really well is show that about Draco. And that's something that a lot of Drury Fick does because Draco has to be redeemed for the (laughs) shitty things he did in canon. Uh (laughs) Um, Uh But I think the sort of most straightforward way of doing that is to show that he was also a kid put in a really shitty position where he didn't want to go against like the two people he loved in his life who are his parents who were also working for Voldemort. (laughs) Um, But like Draco is very much aware of that already in this fic. There is no need for him to sort of come to terms with what has been done. In fact, he's very anxious about what has been done. There's a scene where Hermione comes over to the mansion to help them on the project and he's like freaking the fuck out about it because he can't fathom Hermione wanting to like walk into the manor. Um, so there's a scene after Hermione does come to the manor, and the Hermione in this, as we've already mentioned, is very good. And so I would good. like to discuss sort of the friendships at some point. But uh, her and Draco are sort of talking in the library a little bit. Draco's trying, trying to be helpful, but also just like so nervous and paranoid about it. Um, and he, he tells her that the last time she was here was, quote, not ideal. <laughs> and Hermione's like, okay, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and she basically asks him, like, were you the one responsible for what happened to me here? No, Draco said reluctantly. Were you or were you not a minor who did his best considering the circumstances to thwart what had happened? I didn't do my, my best. Draco swallowed hard. I didn't. Um, And then Hermione basically tells him that, like, it's her decision whether or not she wants to be traumatized and whether or not she wants to think about it and whether or not she, like, wants to forgive him. And it's so freaking good because it, like, it shows us a Draco who can be at this point of realizing that not everything was in his control, that he did shitty things that he doesn't want to do anymore, that he's already changed in that regard, but he still needs to come to this, like, self-realization of, like, it wasn't his fault. And I think Harry also has to have that that realization about, like, the war. Yes. like... One, like, it wasn't on him, you know, and it doesn't have to continue to be on him. And like you said, like, them butting heads about it allows this to come to light. And I think what I really love about this pairing and this pairing and this fic, um, which is that they sort of offer each other something that none of the other people in their friend groups can. Um, And it's kind of because they butt heads at the beginning, because they just can say shit to each other. And everyone else they're with, even if they're not necessarily delicate with each other, there are things they don't really want to talk about. There are things they aren't going to call each other on. And because these two start out as enemy adjacent, more like in the habit of being enemies, but still very like snarky and making fun of each other. It allows a lot of this to come to light in ways that wasn't going to happen with anyone else in their lives. And I think that sets such a good foundation for why they work as a pairing. 
Yeah, I think like they are very enemy adjacent. I really like that. They're like, <laughs> they're like little baby rivals um, from their childhood. Yeah, um, well, that's what Morag says, right? Like it was drama. It was drama. And they're like it was a feud, and she was like, "You were eleven. It was drama." Yeah, but, <laughs> but Harry then had the- been eleven when he started fighting Voldemort too. Um, that's a line from the fic that just ate my heart. Yeah, it's um, really good. I, I love that. Like <laughs> Harry can think that though, and Morag can still like not be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. Anyway. There's a lot of, like, everyone is sort of right, Mm -hmm. and yet not necessarily everyone's opinions line up in this fic that I think is, like, real world and beautiful. Yeah. Um, So in this fic, Draco's um, manner, being, presence in general, uh, we find out reasons for it later. But in the beginning, the mystery is, like, why are there all of these poltergeists viciously attacking him nightly? Um, and sometimes during the day, like, why are you obliviating all these muggles? Oh, because a poltergeist attacked you out of nowhere in the middle of the square. Like, fair enough. Um, <laughs> and so oftentimes when Harry shows up to be part of this investigation as an or, um, Draco has been attacked recently. Um, and so there's one point where Harry brings him a pain potion um, and Draco's immediate automatic response is oh fuck you uh, which made me so happy honestly <laughs> like i absolutely love this idea that they hate each other by habit more than anything else um and they they know that in themselves right like draco says that but he's not thinking like oh i want you to die like he's just saying fuck you um and like they slowly in this fix start to realize and like see that in each other too um, like, I don't think Harry at this point in the fic thinks like, ah, Draco really does hate me. He's just like, ah, Draco being Draco. <laughs> well, he is sort of like, oh, I guess like you don't have to have it. And Draco's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no, give it to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I was just saying that. Um, it's just funny. Like, I don't know. It's cool to see the ways in which a lot of the edges of the trauma that they suffered when they were young and like this hatred they had for each other have like really softened just with time, which I think is also like a really realistic thing. Like someone that you used to hate, like oftentimes you look back and you're like, wow, we were just kind of being fools. (laughs) Well, there's a line that I love, um, that is, a little bit funny and also a little bit devastating, uh, I think. Perfect. Um, <laughs> ah, the brand. Uh, Lay it on me. <laughs> Which is, um, they get drunk off of some, like, really good elf wine. Elf wine. And so much of this scene is, like, so funny and then, like, immediately whips into, like, heartbreaking or just, like, really like positive. Way. It, it, mm-hmm. Yeah, it... Which it, I love. It really, like, very quickly jumps between moods. Anyway, um, at one point... Um, Malfoy says, you used to be more irritable, and Harry responds, I used to be 15, (laughs) which is like, oh, God, Um, because, I mean, it is, like we were saying, like, they sort of in their minds and their memories, like, it was more than just a petty feud, right? Like, it was this whole thing. Consuming. But it also, they recognize, like, it also was kind of stupid and childish. They were making faces at each other across the Great Hall. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um... It's sort of, like, branching a little bit off that, I guess, in, like, um, how the two of them think about their past and also talk about it in the present. Um, In the very beginning, in that line that Nick mentioned where Harry sort of reflects that he was 11 when he started fighting Voldemort, Mm -hmm. in my notes I was like, ooh, like, is this fic going to dig into Harry's trauma? And the answer is, like, no, but yes. Um, my notes go, oh, never mind. Most of this fic is just Harry and Draco kind of looking at each other and going, hey, trauma with finger guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and people tell them to go to therapy and they're like, nah. <laughs> like, Hermione is like, hey, go to therapy. And Narcissa 
very, very haltingly is like, ooh, that thing you should maybe go to. Consider the- therapy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will not say this, yeah. but also drink coconut therapy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's like, again, similar to the, I guess, mood of the wine scene where it flips very rapidly between, like, funny and also aching. There are just so many scenes where they acknowledge to each other, like, yeah, we have a lot of trauma, some of it at the hands of one another. Um, and instead of digging into it, they're like, ah, uh, trauma, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a scene where when um, Harry and Draco, they've like already hooked up once, but Draco didn't take off his shirt. Um, and... Uh, two things about this scene. Part of this scene is Harry's reflecting on the fact that Hermione <laughs> says that he should be better at emotional honesty and clear communication. So um, what he says to Draco is, I think we should be dating. I think we should be dating and I think you should stay here tonight with me. And then later goes, I also think you should take your shirt off. And his internal monologue goes, emotional honesty really was very important. <laughs> Which is like so oh, fucking funny. Um, but... Then, like, immediately after that, Draco's like, okay, listen, you're not allowed to make a big deal out of this, but I have scars, and pulls off his shirt, and it's the scars from, like, where Harry used Sectum Sempra on him, yeah. and Harry's just sort of, like, <laughs> staring at him, clearly having some guilt, and Draco's like, stop it, I told you not to have guilt. Like, uh, Nick said, I think before we started recording, it's uh-huh. like Draco, it's the equivalent of Draco taking a rolled up newspaper yeah. kind of back at him and going, stop it. Um, which is, again, one of those things that's, like, Really funny, but also a little bit devastating that they're like, haha, trauma, but also like, oh, trauma at the hands of one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the conversations they have, I just, I like, I want to go back to like the elf wine scene for a moment yes. because mm-hmm. this whole thing is so freaking funny. Um, like they just get absolutely trashed and this is sort of their, um, first, this is early on in them getting to know each other. They, Harry's only sort of been working at the manor for a few days. Um, and they just get, like, absolutely wasted after, like, an encounter with the poltergeist. Um, and it's it's just hysterical. <laughs> um, like, Malfoy goes on this whole rant about, like, how much he hates checks. Yeah. <laughs> and a form of money. But it goes, like, He's directly right. from that into... Um, like, Draco asking Harry if he's, like, still dating Ginny. And then... <laughs> and then comes, like, the first part where they sort of talk about trauma, which I think is absolutely hysterical. Um, <laughs> so which, good. Like, Harry basically tells Draco, like, oh, no, we're not dating. Hmm, says Malfoy, nodding wisely. Trauma. No, Harry frowned at his wine, just like, we weren't working out. Because of the trauma, Malfoy substituted. Stop saying trauma, said Harry. <laughs> it's all right, Malfoy said. Mother once tried to say the word therapy to me, but she started coughing halfway through and had to leave the room. It was too much for her. She's far too well-bred. Hermione says therapy a lot, Harry said glumly. I'm so sorry, Malfoy said. She says trauma too. Malfoy nodded knowingly. She has a large vocabulary. <laughs> it's just like... It allows them to be so human, even yes. when they're bringing up these, like, very serious like, things. this is a drunk conversation. Yes, oh. and I think, like, this pairing is so good at showing all the different sides of someone. It's not just the good, it's not just the bad, it's not just the traumatized, it's not just the, like, wanting to be better. Yeah. It's, like, everything, whole package, relatable human being. And I think, like, this fic does such a good job of making them human in these moments where they have to deal with serious stuff. Um... Oh, just, like, that's one of the things I love most in fan fiction is, like, an an examination of, like, what it means to be human, what humanity is, 
but also like when it's funny and charming yeah. and sweet. Oh, it's just really good. <laughs> There's a line also in that scene where Harry's just contemplating on how drunk he is. And he says this like twice in slightly different versions, yeah. but he goes, hmm, the wine is extremely wine. And it's just so He's funny. right. I This fic is so funny yeah. overall, and the way it writes the supporting characters as well is really good. Yeah. The Hermione of this fic is one of my favorite She's things. She's so good. Um, I feel like it's a very book Hermione as opposed mm. to like a movie Hermione. I like that it allows Hermione and Ron to also sort of like be like hey trauma finger guns <laughs> because I think sometimes Vic leans hard into Hermione being like the serious one the one who's like dealt with all of her shit and like needs everyone else to too and she does encourage Harry here to deal with his shit she's the one being like therapy <laughs> but it also allows her to like make jokes about her own trauma and yeah. be really relatable and I just think like the way she's written it's so good and so funny. Um, there's a moment where Ron brings up Hermione having punched Draco in the face <laughs> at school, and she says, uh, our blissful school days, Hermione smiled at the ceiling. I still treasure the memory. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so rare in Dreary Fic where Hermione gets to be truly funny. Yeah. And I loved her in this. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, the friendships in this fic, I think, were so brilliant. I am someone who often like has an eye on friendship in fic, because I feel like a lot of the time it's sort of shafted um, for romantic relationships or just like internal character development, blah, blah, blah whatever. Um, yeah, but whatever. I think... Uh, internal character development. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Um, but I feel like Harry, Ron, Hermione, and then also Draco, Pansy, and Greg. <laughs> um, Greg Goyle. Um, if you like me and Reed, we're not really sure of that <laughs> throughout most of the fic. Um, hey, that classic character, Greg. Greg my favorite Harry <laughs> Potter character. <laughs> when I dress up for Halloween, I go to Greg. <laughs> Gosh, but... Go to the Halloween costume store. You got any in... Greg's left? <laughs> yeah. uh, we're all sold out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, those two trios do end up colliding a fair amount. Um, but I loved seeing them separately first because they're such like different friendships, but at the same time, they both like all of the different iterations of them all felt so real to me. Like Draco and Pansy having this like very like like fondly antagonistic sipping wine in a fancy parlor kind of vibe. <laughs> um and, like, when they all went to the pub and were, like, talking about, like, muggle drinking games and, like, Harry getting along immediately with Greg um, about Quidditch and then and just And Draco's, like, why horrified? did you, like, declare your undying love right? for Greg? And Harry's, like, I just said he was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Draco's, How like, dare you don't you? understand what it means to be a Slytherin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. I just love that. Like, they're, it's so real. They're not constantly having these super emotionally loaded conversations. A lot of what they're talking about is just, like, this is what's happening in my life right now. Here's a line that makes Nicole sad. Here's a goof. Um, like, I don't know. It was just very, like, joyful. Like, this fic has the potential to be so sad, and it's kind of not. Like, it is mm -hmm. at points, but so much of it is just, like, about the difficulties of growth and how it can be kind of, like, ugly but good. And you can, like, you know, hold someone's hand through it while they grow, too. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I wanted to talk about a bit in this fic um, that we haven't really touched on much before, I sort of mentioned at the beginning that this has like an exploration of magic and places, but I think 
one thing it does really well is allow Draco to like teach Harry some more about his side of like wizarding culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really taps into Harry's like longing to belong. And I think this is something that we genuinely see a lot in canon is like Harry, who doesn't really feel like at home anywhere in particular, other than maybe like Hogwarts. But he still has like a hard time sort of connecting to like wizarding culture and like wizarding society, I think. He very much is like an outsider and he recognizes that about himself. And there's a moment, uh, I think it's like about two thirds of the way through the fic. Um, they like went out to the bar and got drunk. I think it's the time that they go with the Slytherins. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're walking back to the manor, like, through the grounds. Um, and Harry says, I like how everything here has a name. People name things they care about. And it, like, absolutely breaks Draco's heart in the moment because Harry talks about, like, when he was little, no one really, like, taught him that stuff and he'd follow, like, families around at, like, the zoo oh. and gardens and, like, try and learn what they were telling their kids. And Draco, like, makes this point to, like, tell Harry the names of everything. And then, like, later, Harry, like, tries to show off by naming everything on a certain floor to Draco. And I just love what they're able to offer each other that, like, no one else in their lives can. I think, like, the line that hits me the hardest in this fic, though, and, like, sort of, like, the note I want to end on, really goes off of this, like, finding somewhere to belong. Um, And sort of recognizing something in each other that is the same, even as they are both wholly unique, different people. Um, and at one point, they sort of were talking about Draco fixing up the manor. Um, and it goes, Draco knew where this was going. Why do I bother? No, Potter said. I know why. Draco stared at him. You do? Even with what happened here, even with who lived here, he wanted to ask, but didn't. If I had something like this, something for my family... Potter stared down at his cup of tea, watching the steam rise from it in hazy swirls. No, I was wondering why you were doing this alone. (laughs) And I feel like (laughs) that is, like, the crux of this fic. Yes. It's this understanding that they didn't even realize that they had about each other, and a willingness to go forward together. I really love it. And I love the way that, like, magic and the place tie into that, the way that their friends tie into it. I think it's such a beautifully wrapped package of the ship. Um... But yeah, I think that really sort of encompasses what I love so much about this fic. And it really gets to something about, like, I love about this pairing, too. And I'm sure like we'll touch on again as mm. I force these two to read more dreary fic in Brenna's Dreary Corner. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, I love what this does to their relationships. I love it how it makes them really like relatable individuals and really relatable like 22-year-olds. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So that's been our discussion on the stately homes of Wilshire. Uh, Reed, why don't we get into yours? I would love to. Uh, my fic is What's Mine is Yours and What's Yours is Gone by Invading Thoughts. As I said earlier, it's a Rooster Teeth Achievement Hunter fic. Um, this fic is a Minecraft slash Sky Factory in you. <laughs> if that means nothing to you, don't worry. I will explain it. It meant nothing to me, listeners. It's cooler than it sounds. And then Reed said... Well, you know what Minecraft is, right? And I said, kind of? <laughs> and we had to go from there. Um, I will explain it, but before I get into it, just um, the content warning I would give for this fic is it's video game typical death and resurrection, and um, as you might imagine, maybe being a little fucked up because of it. Yeah. So that they came back different yeah. trope a little bit. Yeah. 
So to understand this fic, um, I will get into just the very basics of Minecraft and also what the Sky Factory mod is, um, and then specifically what happens in Achievement Hunter's first episode of their Sky Factory series, <laughs> because that's vital to this fic. Um, I'm sure many of you have at least heard of Minecraft, even if you don't really know what it is. The basic concept is it's a quote-unquote sandbox game, which means the purpose of it is sort of like creating and modifying your environment. Um, Minecraft is a game where you mine for resources, you tend to animals, you fight monsters, um, and you sort of shape the world around you. Uh, and you start by being loaded into a sort of preset 3D world. Everything is these pixel blocks. Um, Sky Factory is a mod that basically removes all of that. It starts the player um, on top of a tree that is maybe like four or five blocks high and five blocks wide, and that's it. Everything else around them is empty, endless space. Um, and the point of Sky Factory is to sort of build up from nothing. The game starts you with like a few tools in your inventory, and that's about it. Achievement Hunter did a series in Sky Factory, and in their very first video, uh, it's about 40 minutes in, if you want to watch it, if you want to YouTube Achievement Hunter Sky Factory Part 1. Um, so about 40 minutes in, they basically discover you can do a thing where you can mine a bunch of things at once, and mining removes blocks. Um, and Jeremy goes, oh, vein mining, this is a thing. And Gavin goes, vein mining, and clicks a block, and then the entire small platform that they've built for themselves just disappears from under them. And everyone except for Jack and Jeremy fall off the map, uh, and they die and respawn. And in the video, it's like very funny and very chaotic, as is typical for Achievement Hunter. Um, it's like not a serious moment at all. But this fandom does what I think it does best, and takes these silly, lighthearted video game moments and just creates a whole new narrative out of them. Um, I will definitely get more into this later because I have a lot of feelings about like what Achievement Hunter fandom does with its quote-unquote canon or source material and sort of how fandom adapts and changes it. Um, but what you need to know for the premise of this fic is that it sort of takes this idea of these characters as real people who are starting on this tiny little space of nothing in the middle of space and four out of the six of them fall through the floor, die, and respawn. And when they come back, they are different. They don't really remember who they were before, and there are bits of them that are just kind of gone. This fix centers itself around two characters, Jeremy, who did not fall, who managed to survive, and Michael, who did. And this fic is a reflection of the sort of amnesia and general unwellness that Michael comes back with and how Jeremy is struggling with that and specifically how Jeremy is struggling with how his relationship with Michael has changed because of it. Um, I said this last episode, but this fic is very short. It is under 2K and it packs so much into its tiny amount of words and that is something that I really love and admire about it. I also really love it for what I was kind of saying earlier how I think it is very representative of what this fandom does, um, how Achievement Hunter fandom byproduct of taking very silly video game um, canon can just expand in an endless amount of ways. And I think the ways in which this fic draws upon canon and then elaborates or chooses not to elaborate is really, really clever. Um, and this fic is very tender. 
Which, you know, is not on brand for me at all to pick something tender. Well, no, we who would have guessed, we folks? We do not like tender things here. No. Get them away from us. <laughs> Harsh things only. Um. Valid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of my feelings about the fic and why I really like it. Uh, I would love to know what you guys thought. Yeah, I mean, I think that this fic more than anything else is an exercise in myth-making, um, which is what a lot of age fic does that's set in these like video game worlds um sky factory is a really fun kind of goofy kind of like mostly pretty peaceful series of videos um i always consider them very background noisy um the ones that i did watch and i like that this fic really really looks at like hey what if these little minecraft characters who are walking around like their little avatars were like actually human beings um and what would happen if maybe their lives did not begin right when the series started what if they like were on earth before what if they came up here for a reason what if a lot of them now can't remember that reason um what if they don't want to um what would happen if every time someone dies it actually impacted them i think that's something that actually there is like a fair amount of other age fic that examines too of this like if we're treating these video game characters like people what does it do to you to like die over and over again or even just the once and like quote unquote respawn back where you started as if nothing had happened but like something has happened um and i think that i really like that not only is it doing this kind of work of myth making but it's doing it in a way where um a it's very short b it's like pretty low on exposition honestly which i really like give me just the bare bones i will come to my own conclusions thank you um and then c like it really does focus on jeremy who did not go through this experiencing this sense of loss um of the people that he knew and loved before they changed and trying to navigate what his feelings can or can't be with these almost like shadow versions um or shadow version of michael specifically who doesn't have the memories or the mind um or like the the cautiousness (laughs) um that maybe the old michael used to have like is jeremy even allowed to love this michael when he loved the old Michael that doesn't necessarily exist in the same way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just that. Just you know. That. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked Jeremy sort of struggling with his feelings about Michael in this. Um, he struggles a lot with, like, feeling like the Michael he is presented with isn't his Michael, isn't the one that he used to know. Um, and he has a hard time with the fact that he still sort of has feelings for this new Michael and like kind of feeling like that betrays his feelings for the old Michael in some ways. Um, and I think there's a really lovely moment right at the end of this fic um, where like they do kiss and Jeremy like realizes that how this Michael is acting is the way that his old Michael would have acted. Um, and he realizes, like, this is the Michael he has. So, like, what is wrong with loving him, sort of? And oh. I really liked that moment. I think that that was sort of, like, my favorite stuff in this fic. I definitely really love, like, the world building of it. I feel like I have the least context because I yeah. <laughs> have never been in this fandom. So I don't really know, like, what fandom did with the series to come to here, but I did watch, like, the little clip that's relevant and read this fic, and <laughs> I do think it's really cool in general how fandom can take something so small and make, yeah. like, lore out of it. 
And like fanon lore is something I find like so endlessly fascinating. So I like really love the choices that were made in here. Um, and like it has so many like little small moments that I think are really interesting um, in terms of like what it describes the other people as doing. Like it has this conversation between Jeremy and Michael about like the planets that they can see. I did not understand this conversation, <laughs> but <laughs> I did find it just, like, really interesting. And, like, I think it works really well as world building. I think sort of what Nick was saying about, like, the lack of exposition isn't to say that this fic doesn't do world building, mm-hmm. because it really does. It just shows it to us through the characters' conversations and, like, actual, like, actions and yeah. physical space. Um, and I think, like, the way that the prose is written in that regard... I really admire it. Well, with with the scene where Michael and Jeremy are talking about the planets, um, it's so that is pulled also directly from the video, but then again, twisted for the fic. I didn't watch that bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I guess for further context, when I say that the game starts you on a tree in the middle of space, I don't just mean like, oh, you start in a tree and there's nothing around you. I mean like it's stars and a galaxy. You can see planets floating in the sky. You see the equivalent of a Milky Way. You're in the sky. You're in the sky. Sky factory. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> and in the video, it's like a very quick, it's just a very short thing, sort of in the background. Michael is talking as other people are doing things, and he's just looking out, and he's like, oh, there's, okay, well, that looks like Earth, and then there's a red planet next to it. Like, which one is that supposed to be? It's a very quick and small thing, but this fix sort of, takes it and blows it up and makes it something much more fraught mm-hmm. um, than it is. And sort of in talking about how this fic does a lot of world building with very little exposition, um, as Jeremy and Michael are sitting together, Gavin comes over and he says, what was Earth like? And the fic reads, Jeremy bites at the inside of his cheek, hard enough to draw blood. He can't remember most of it, but what he can makes his stomach turn inside out. The warmth, the steadiness, the way he could take 20 steps to the left without worrying about falling off the damned thing. It was better. He knows that. But he's unsure if he would ever go back if he were given the chance. That's, like, all we get. That's all we get of their backstory. Uh It's so good. It's good, but also baffling. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's just there's so much tucked into it, and it's, like, it implies so much Mm -hmm. and brings up so many questions and answers absolutely nothing for Mm -hmm. you. But at the same time, it's, like, you don't really need those answers. Like, anything that you imagine for it could be correct. Um, partially because of the way the fic is, but also partially because of the way this fandom specifically works. Um, I really love how it, like, does... How, like, in creating lore, it, like, leaves room for the rest of fandom to continue that process. It feels like a very, like, jumping-off point Mm -hmm. um, fic in that way. And I think you mentioned to us previously that this was written, like, one week after the video is posted or something. So Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that this was, like, a pretty early piece of fic for this concept in this, like, video series. Um... So I just find it really interesting that this author sort of made these choices where they were like, I want this thing to exist in my version of this world, but it like leaves so much more room for the rest of the fandom to take that however they want and go wherever they want with it. And I just found that like a really sort of smart move for both this fic, but also like a generous move for fandom. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I also think that this fic has a lot to say about fear in a way that I find really interesting. Because I feel like so many stories, especially like 
American stories, which I guess it's like sort of is. The characters are mostly American. I don't know. I was just thinking about how so much like of of media that I tend to consume has this glorification of fearlessness, um, or at least like admiration of and aspiration for fearlessness. Um, but in this fic, like, Jeremy is absolutely terrified of the lack of fear that he sees in his friends who came back. Um, Gavin, who's, like, super reckless and, like, running all over the place and, like, not really looking where he's going. Michael, who's sitting right at the very edge of the world, essentially. They're at the edge of the – like, that – he falls again. Like, that is just a thing that happens. And then it's just, you know, bad. Um, but Jeremy – is so afraid. And I think that this fake does have a little bit to say about the fact that some level of fear and cautiousness is healthy. Like we get scared for a reason. <laughs> and if we completely lost our fear impulse, like that would be bad. Not to pull like one of the deepest cuts I've ever pulled. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not that deep actually, but it's, oh it's going to be unexpected. Um, have y'all read the Aragon books? <laughs> oh, you know I read the Aragon books, Nicole, please. Okay. There's a part during the those books, um, the first or second, I forget, um, where our main character, Aragon, is fighting against these, like, soldiers that are trying to, like, attack him and all this stuff, the people that he loves, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's an army that he quickly realizes is made up of men who have been magicked to not feel pain. And so it's terrifying because they'll lose an arm and they won't stop hacking. Like, it's very zombie-esque. Um, and that has me thinking a lot about this altered state of being that they're in where they, their fear response, um, is just cut off. Um, and it makes them less human. It's a little bit uncanny valley, honestly, mm-hmm. of this like, oh God, here are these people who look a lot like my friends and who are not always acting exactly like my friends, but who are very convincing. Um, and I really liked what you said, Bren, about the ending because it's like, yeah, they're different. Um, they're not inhuman necessarily. Um, as far as we know, maybe they're a little bit, I don't know. Um, but Jeremy does have to make a very real choice of like, this might be just who these people are now. And like, is this someone that I can still love? Like, what, what does it say when you love the same person twice when they're not the same person? I don't yeah. know. Well, philosophical. Yes. Yeah. This um, thick is largely philosophical. Yes. Very. <laughs> I find that fitting. <laughs> Thank you. Something that I think is super interesting along those lines is, um, I think it's a pretty common trope in amnesia fic where you have one character without amnesia who's like, oh no, yeah. you can't be acting this way because like you don't know what you're doing. Although, I'm sorry. I Now I really want to read a fic where like, they both have amnesia. <laughs> yeah. One of them is like, like, so what were we? And the other one's like, uh, I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> At me, if you know of one that's good. Yeah, hit yes. us up. Um... Yeah, but I I think most of the amnesia fic that I've read is, like, one character, usually the one with amnesia, going, (laughs) oh, I'm going to act on all these, like, implicit feelings I have, and the other character is like, no, like, you're not in your right state of mind, you don't know what you're doing. And I think in this fic, it's really interesting because, like, as far as the reader knows, there's not going to be that magical moment in a lot of amnesia fic where the person who is forgetting suddenly gets their memories back. Yeah. Like, you know, or at least you're pretty sure... The Michael that Jeremy knew, he's not coming back. He's just fucked up. He's mm-hmm. fucked up. Um, you're not getting back those memories that previous version of him 
like I said, there's not going to be that magical moment. And so then it really brings like this very philosophical question of, well, what do you do now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think it's a really interesting take on the amnesia trope. And it makes it kind of painful and hard for Jeremy, who doesn't know that he's doing the right thing, but also can't help but lean into what this new Michael is giving him. Yeah. um, In a way that feels like just very human, I think. Yeah, and there's no one else that's, like, unaffected that he has to measure himself against. Mm -hmm. This is just a choice that he has to make because it is the choice that he wants to make. There's no, like, they're not in, like, this whole big society with, like, established, like, morals and stuff. Like, Earth, whatever. Um, Mm. And there's not, I guess, a sense that Jeremy is amoral in any way. Um, (laughs) But he does really just have to sort of make the decision um, based on just what he has and what he feels. It's also hard for him because um, the two people who survived the fall were Jeremy and Jack. Um, But even though Jack survived the fall, almost immediately after the others are brought back, Jack and another character, Jeff, sort of fall into a... um, Coma? It's, yeah, it's not quite... Illness? It just says that they stop responding entirely. Stasis, yeah. Nice. It says they stop responding entirely, um, that sort of their eyes are open, but they don't speak, they don't eat, they don't move. Um, So it's really, the fic has a line about how it is just Jeremy left alone on this tiny little platform with no one who remembers him and, like, no one who really knows him. Jeremy. And so so he's so alienated. He's so far from anything familiar and so, of course, he's going to lean into the comfort that Michael gives him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's also a little bit devastating because um, there's a point where Michael asks him, you know, what were we before? And Jeremy says, friends, because they had only ever sort of skirted the line. They had flirted and oh. had pushed at things, but they never they had never gone further than actually being friends. And it kills Jeremy because now he, he says, like, He hates himself for missing his chance, for fucking up his chance because his Michael is gone now. Wow. Alexa, play Almost Lover by A Fine Frenzy. (laughs) (laughs) I have something I want to talk about. I don't know how to, like, segue into this. No, just go for it. Kind of just buck wild. Um, Yeah, I don't know a lot about religion, and I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I have read Genesis. And uh, one of the things I wrote a lot of notes about um, while reading this fic was the sort of, like, biblical undercurrents I saw in it. I don't know whether or not this was intentional on the author's behalf, (laughs) but um, it was there for me, so I'm here to talk about it. (laughs) Um, I think, like, the first thing I sort of noticed was just the fact of this sort of, like, world creation. Um, Like... In a very literal sense, they are playing Minecraft and you have to keep building this world. Yeah. But I think because of the mod, like because it's Sky Factory, it makes it even more like isolated. It starts with so little and everything they do is like a big change, a big change to like what they live with um, that I found like really interesting. But I think like the biggest thing for me was sort of a connection between this story and like Adam and Eve being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Um, I think... Like, I sort of noticed this actually because of the, like, how central, like, the tree is in this fic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, there's, like, a tree they start with and everything comes from the tree. But the tree is sort of also what leads to the platform falling away <laughs> and, like, them being, well, yeah. essentially, like, kicked out. Oh. Um, 
Okay, not to like quote the literal Bible on. <laughs> because this is just absolutely wild, and I, I don't want this to be like off putting to any of our listeners. I really want to just like look at this as like an interesting sort of other piece of source text here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that there are different iterations of Genesis, so this is just the one Google gave me. <laughs> um, but there's a bit where like after they've been kicked out of the garden, God is like instilling his punishments upon Adam and Eve, and he tells them like um you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return and i think that's such like an interesting note to compare to how like video game creation works like in this game they are just a bunch of pixels and in this fic we have made them into people and it's interesting to sort of note that like they die but then they come back um and i think It sort of gives you, like, a limited amount of resources you have, and those continue to be used for, like, different purposes, but, like, in this, they're, like, the same thing. Um, I don't know, I just, like, that really made me think about, like, Michael falling and Michael coming back, and Michael always being Michael, but not. Um, that there is something innate about him that is Michael, Yeah, and he will always be that, but in some other sense, he's just sort of, like, the pixels of this game, like, this cosmic stardust that, like, is getting rearranged and, like, traumatized. <laughs> um. Well, I think it's also interesting, like, um, I think it was Nicole who said a little bit earlier that with the, um, I guess, implied canon that maybe they chose to leave Earth, mm-hmm. I think in line with what you were saying, it's interesting to throw that into the mix in how much of this is, I don't want to say predestined, but, like... Mm. Mm. This larger narrative, right, of um, reaching too far, the tree being the source of their Mm -hmm. downfall. Um, But it's not like they, or at least as far as we understand, it's not like they were born in this place with nothing but the tree. They came from somewhere else. put them in this garden they had just created. Yes. They aren't aren't newly formed when they arrived there. They were already formed and then they reached this place. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there's also, it's interesting, a lot of the other fic does actually and the lore of like the actual sky factory verse itself later on like they will occasionally call themselves gods and so there's that piece too. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah i don't know anything about this yeah, it just yeah. Uh, struck me as very like creationary yeah um, it is and then like very similar to like the way like many creationary stories yeah. have like a casting out yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think it's sort of nick what you were saying how later there's more canon um is a little bit what I was saying at the beginning, how this fandom and this fandom being, I think, age is sort of in general, not just Sky Factory. This fandom is, it's an experience that I've never had in any other fandom. Um, I think, again, by nature of what its source material is, where fandom takes what is given to us and then constructs an entirely separate and usually very, very elaborate fanon narrative um, we see this in their GTA videos, for which there is a huge verse. Um, but with Sky Factory, it's really interesting because, as we said before, this fic was written about a week after the first episode was posted. So there was nothing else except for this first video. Um, but I watched sort of – I didn't follow every single bit of the Sky Factory series, but I watched on and off, and in particular, I sort of watched fandom. Um 
as it evolved and shifted, like you said, there's a point where Ryan Ryan gets like really into creation in certain ways, and he calls himself a dark god. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gavin calls himself the Solar Queen, and there is a Jeremy gets into blood magic. Oh, Jeremy gets into Holy blood shit. magic. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Jeremy gets into blood magic, and like Gavin and often you know, sacrifices. Something you could do in Minecraft. You can in Sky Factory. Hey. <laughs> um, but you can see why why fandom sort of like latched onto these things and was like, oh, Ooh, yes. let me twist this and Absolutely. make this so much more. But yeah, I just, it really ties back to what I think is so fascinating about the Rooster Teeth Achievement Hunter fandom. Um, it's really, really cool to be able to watch fandom build its lore and watch it in real time the way I did for Sky Factory. Um, when I had got into the fandom, a lot of like of the big fandom tropes, like the fake AH crew, which is their GTA thing, like that had already been there for years by the time that I got into fandom. But Sky Factory, watching it unravel and watching fandom fit together its pieces, and in specific, like seeing what certain people latched onto because it like it's a collaboratively built world and lore and obviously like not every fic is going to interpret it the exact same way but there are as i think we've talked about before sort of founding fics and founding ideas that you'll see echoed in most of the fics for a specific um au i suppose uh and it's just like i just really love the way that this fandom branches in a million different directions and in specific with this fic how much potentiality there is because it was written just on the cusp of this new world um and how yeah like everything in it is sort of setting a foundation but also leaves so much open because they don't know what what canon is going to give them so yeah i think part of the reason i'm so passionate about this fic is because i think it's really emblematic of the things i love most about ah fandom I also just think it's a phenomenally well-done fic um, that it manages to do so much work. Again, I know I say that all the time, but, like, it's true. Uh, I think, Nicole, you once called this a masterclass in short fiction. I did. <laughs> which is something I really agree I love with. this fic. Yeah, it's really short. <laughs> really short. But, like, in a good way. I rarely read fics this short. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really love it, and I think that if you have this context now, maybe you should go read it too. Check Mm -hmm. it out. All right, everybody, it's time for my fic. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this episode I picked The Undiscovered Country by Indigo Strohelet, Um, and it is a Hamlet fic. Um, I want to share a couple content warnings first. Um, these were all um, explicated by the author in what I thought was a really great way, so I'm just going to read them. Um, okay, period, typical classism, racism, and sexism. And I want to note that the period that it mentions here is 1950s Chicago. <laughs> um, it's an AU. Um, okay, depiction of mental illness and discrimination against the mentally ill and canonical character death. Um there's also some, like, there's guns or some violence, um, but wanted to mention that. Um, okay, so now that we are going to start, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what Hamlet means to me. Um, so if you don't mind, listener, I'm just going to do a quick, like, imagination exercise. Picture a person um, who is lying in their bedroom um, reading this fic specifically, and they are vibrating so rapidly that their body is beginning to give off heat. 
Um, <laughs> that imagine now that that person is me, <laughs> and that every single heat wave coming off of my body is screaming the word Hamlet. Um, that's how I feel. Um, but this fic in particular is not something I ever expected to be reading. I've never sought out Shakespeare fic really for any reason, or otherwise like sought out classics fic. But um, a few months ago now, I solicited general fic recs on my Twitter. And we received a bunch of recommendations, and one of them was this fic um, from Dear Friend of the Pod, Lots. Thank you, Lots. They are awesome. Um, I was like, what is this? It's Hamlet. Someone said it's good. I'm going to read it. Uh, yeah, oh, I sure read it. Um, it's just so damn good. Um, for the potentially uninitiated, um, I don't want to assume every single person in the world has read um, Hamlet. Um, Hamlet is a very, very traditional tragedy. Um, so uh, in it, the very, very short version, spoilers for Hamlet, um, first, <laughs> perform- <laughs> first performed in 1603. <laughs> too soon. Um, no, it's not too soon. Go read the play. Um, it centers around Hamlet, um, who is a man whose father has just died. Um, the play opens with him essentially getting to speak to his father's ghost. And his father is like, Hamlet, get revenge. Your uncle Claudius killed me. And so Hamlet is like, ugh, I better kill my uncle Claudius. He sucks. Um, that's like the gist. And then it ends very badly for pretty much everyone involved. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a damn shame. <laughs> um, Wow, I'm really, I'm really selling it. It's good. Um, but this fic takes that story and puts it in 1950s Chicago and makes it more of a queer romance than it already was. And I say that because, like, Hamlet, honestly, as a play, is kind of queer. Like, the source text really is. Horatio is holding Hamlet in his arms as he dies and says, verbatim, good night, sweet prince. Like, you say that to your buds, y'all? Um, but yeah, like, it is, the, the play is queer. The fic really, really, really takes that and dives into it. Um, in the fic, um, Hamlet is the son of the former mayor of Chicago. Um, so that's kind of how he operates. Instead of being um, the prince um, of Denmark, he is the sort of now... Uh, in a weird kind of in the middle spot of like his dad died, his uncle is now the mayor. He's still involved with the politics. Um, he kind of was the quote unquote heir apparent. It was always expected that he would become mayor after his dad. There's a lot of politicking in this that very much resembles a monarchy, but still roots itself in American politics in a way that I love. Um, yeah, so it picks up with kind of Hamlet back in Chicago after he'd been away at school um, for his father's funeral and subsequently his mother's marriage to his father's brother, <laughs> uh, which, you know, horrible. That's canon, though. Um, and that's Shakespeare, baby. That's Shakespeare, baby. Um, this fic is very literary in the way that it presents the story. It's a little bit epistolary in the way that it brings in other forms of text, and it is a lot a bit detrimental to my emotional well-being, mm-hmm. um, because, hey, guess what? Big spoilers here, y'all. Hamlet still dies at the end, except now you get to see it through the eyes of his lover, Horatio, who's a much more central player in this fic than he was in the play. That's all I'm going to say for it for right now, because I could just, I, this could just be me talking for two hours straight. Y'all don't even understand. Um, 
Anyway, did you guys like it? Oh boy. Oh boy, this way. <laughs> what, what did you think? Um, okay. I feel the need to just, like, preface. I say a lot on this podcast that I'm soft and I cry. These things are true. But usually when I say <laughs> that I cried at a fic, what I mean is, like, I teared up. Maybe, like, one or two tears rolled down my face. And that's still crying. Like, I'm still soft. Cinematic, like, music video tears. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this fic... I'm not going to say I was sobbing because I wasn't, but I was crying very heavily and some sob-like noises may have um, escaped my body. Oh my god. I Okay, I know how much you love Hamlet, and when you wrecked uh-huh. this, I was like, okay, this is going to be kind of like funny. It's like 1950. Not that I thought it would be a funny fic, but I was sure. like, Hamlet in 1950s Chicago. What's like, this going to be? Yeah, exactly. Um, Did not expect to find myself at 3 a.m. again, near sobbing, just... Crying so much. Oh, my God. It was so, so, so good. Um, It really put me in my feelings about queer youth and queer love stories and how we choose to tell them. Um, I have a lot of – I, too, could sit for two hours and just talk (laughs) about this fic and how it portrays queer love. Um, Next episode, also the undiscovered country. (laughs) Continued. (laughs) Continued. Hi, listeners. It's me, Brenna. Oh, there she is. <laughs> um, yeah, this fic fucking broke my heart. Yeah. Woo. Like, it wasn't like I didn't know it was coming, but... It's worse. It's worse. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I remember thinking Hamlet was sad as a play when I read it. I did not cry. Um, I also did not feel disconnected to the characters. Uh, it... Yeah, it did everything it probably possibly could have done to devastate me. So, thanks. <laughs> um, I, I also cried. Usually when I say I cried over fic, I, I like, cried. <laughs> I can't really have just, like, one tear about something. <laughs> um, I wish I could be cinematic in that fashion, but alas. Um, yeah, I would say I, I, I think I texted this to you, too. I wept briefly, but with feeling. Yes. <laughs> Um, in that way where you sort of, like, can't see the page in front of you. Um, but, yeah. Oof. Oof. Boy, howdy. Oof. <laughs> it was really good. I I was not an English major, and I found myself at points when writing these notes lacking the terminology that I wish I had. Mm. But I will try my best. Um, <laughs> I... I found the prose to be absolutely brilliant in this. I think that the dialogue especially was genius. I had multiple notes about like how I wish I could just be half as good at writing dialogue mm. as this author. I couldn't really... Re- like There were moments that I knew were pulled from the source text, but there were other things where I was like, is this like from something? Like It's so freaking good, and it just felt so like established. Um, and yeah, like literary. It felt very novel-esque, this whole fic, um, in a way that I really appreciated. It took me a while to read it, too. Like, I mean, it's not a shorter fic. It's like around 50k, but I sort of know generally how long 50k takes me. This one t- definitely took me longer, because yeah. I was really like savoring it and like rereading bits. Um, I think it's genius the way that the author emulates Shakespeare in this. Not just in the lines that are the same or lines that evoke similar feelings or tone, um, but in other like Shakespearean things. And I like like I said, I my knowledge of Shakespeare and sort of Shakespeare academics are limited. Um, but I think the way that the author like brings the reader into this as a sort of player in the story, how it talks to us, how it uses us, feels very similar to how what I know of like how Shakespeare used 
his audience, um, which I thought was just incredibly clever. Um, yeah, Ooh. my notes are basically just a series of quotes that had me screaming. Um, and there's a lot of things I know we're going to get into that I absolutely loved, yeah. but I just found this very different than a lot of what I usually read. It was really striking. Um, and th- the way it develops Horatio as a character was so beautiful and sad. <laughs> Listener, I'm sad. It's okay to be sad. Thanks. I liked what you said a lot, though, about, like, this evoking really different feelings from the play. Because I think something that I absolutely love about this fic and about just the concept of this fic in general is that, like, it pulls so much of the same storyline from the play. Like, there were so many narrative beats that I was like, yep, 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 yep. Like, Ophelia's gonna die. Gertrude is gonna accidentally drink the poison drink that Claudius and Hamlet both know is poisoned and keep trying to offer to each other, and they'll both be horrified. <laughs> Laertes will poison him with the weapon of choice during the entertainment. Like, you know a lot about what's gonna happen. Not everything. This fic does a lot of really interesting things, but the reason I feel like it really works is because... I've read the play. I've seen some adaptations. I've never seen Hamlet on stage. And I think that even if I had, it's it's so different. Because I often struggle with, like, wanting fic of books. Because I feel like I've read the thing that I wanted to read with these characters that mm-hmm. I love. But, like, with this play, like, the prose fills in so much. Like, the, the play gives us the story. And it gives us the characters. It gives us motivations. It gives us all kinds of things. But it does not give us, like, love letters. It doesn't, I know, (laughs) suffering. Um, It does not give us, like, all of these concepts about what Hamlet really thinks of his family and what he's allowed to, like, say to someone who he really loves. It doesn't give us, like, all of this backstory about what made these people into the people that they are now. It just gives us who they are in the moment. Like, this fake gives us all kinds of things it gives us horatio and hamlet and their horrible freshman year roommates who they swapped out (laughs) for like very different reasons um it gives us a horatio who code switches um because he grew up in a very different area than where he ended up going to school and feeling he had to prove himself in certain ways it gives us oh god there's just so many things i could keep going forever (laughs) but i really love the fact that we're getting this incredibly different medium of a very similar story told through a completely different lens in a totally different setting like this is like the reason i find so much joy in fan fiction like it's because of you indigos to heal it (laughs) you've done it you've done it god but like what the things that we can do with stories that exist and the new places that we can go and the people that we can reach it's just One thing I found really fascinating about this, which I had sort of never thought about before, is usually when I think of, like, an adaptation of, say, Hamlet or any other, like, Mm. Shakespearean play or just a play in general, I think about it being a stage adaptation or film Mm. adaptation. I've never thought about it just being a written adaptation, and the choices that usually, like, an actor or a director would be making about a character are now just made in text here. Mm -hmm. And I found that fascinating, like, how much control the author has over the narrative. Like, there's no one else they really have to, like, wrangle or deal with here. It's just them. And the way that, like, it was just Shakespeare, but the room that he left, yeah. this author now gets to fill in and make their choices and tell the story their way. And 
I feel like it's sort of like a joke in media, like to put on like a version of something that's like, ooh, radically different. It's yeah, like, ooh, yeah. let's tell like a Christmas carol, but like in Hawaii in the <laughs> summer. And like, I don't know, they're like talking dolphins. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love I this. I feel like sort of like just saying like Hamlet, but in like 50 Chicago, like has yeah. that joke. It's not. And nothing though. about this is a joke. And this nope. makes me take adaptations so much more seriously than I've ever taken yes. them before. Um, yeah, I just like, there was a moment early on when um, Hamlet is getting sort of like mad at his friends after he sees the ghost of his father. And in that moment, it really struck me how much room this author had to play with the way char- characters say things or move or make these choices because it's not this like visual medium that we're getting this through. Um, I just found that like really fascinating just as like a piece of media in a way that I'd never thought of or experienced. So thank you. And the ghost of Hewlett. <laughs> <laughs> You've really made done me it. Think about like, just like meta material wise. Yeah. I just want this fic to meet me in a back alley and mug me. That's what, it, that's what it felt like to read it. I'm gonna yeah. be honest. Gosh, I really also absolutely adore the Hamlet of this fic. Um, I love Hamlet as a character. He's one of my favorites ever. Um, but the Hamlet of this fic is so constantly working in the realm of semantics, where the way that he says things sometimes actually means more than what he's actually saying. Um, and there there are two kind of bits where the, the first is where it's established, the second is where it's echoed that just absolutely ended my entire life. Um, because the first bit, he's having a conversation with Horatio um, while they're in sort of this fugitive state. And Horatio is trying to figure out why Hamlet is still with him at this point. Like, Hamlet is kind of running for his life, and they only have so much money. Like, Horatio is also part of consuming that. Um, He's also, like, devastatingly in love, but he doesn't say that at this point. Um, But, like, the the way that Hamlet talks about his family and himself and the differences and why they choose to keep the things in people that they keep is so, A, Hamlet (laughs) and be just so fascinating because like you would almost expect it to be like oh like I love you but that's not what it is at all it's Hamlet saying my family throws away the things that are not useful to them anymore and Horatio is like but I'm not useful to you right now and Hamlet's like I said my family I throw away things that I don't need and like that's an I love you if I've ever heard one and also just like it's such a semantic difference right like what what is useful and what do you need what happens when you pick apart every single possible individual meaning of those two words. Because then way, way later in the fic, it actually is an important distinction. Um, Horatio essentially is like a hostage in Claudius's house, um, kind of to keep Hamlet in line and also because Horatio like could be connected to Hamlet and like help him and support him and stuff. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Um, but Horatio decides very quickly that the only way that he's going to be able to help Hamlet from his position where they're in completely different states now is to quote unquote, make himself useful. Um, because he remembers that's what Hamlet said about his family. And so he's able to actually use that, and and do something with it and become like useful um and survive and this like 
house of sharks, essentially, where he's like very much the minnow. Oh, it's just, it's, it's good because it's so much of like what makes Hamlet Hamlet soliloquizing dramatically and making bad choices <laughs> and also seeing like very important distinctions between phrases that ostensibly kind of mean the same thing. It's so pretentious, but it's like so well wielded in this thing. I think too, part of the reason why that scene where Horatio decides to make himself useful and sort of the subsequent what he has to do for Claudius, part of the reason why it's so poignant is because the Denmark family, so Hamlet's family, and pretty much the entire cast of characters in this fic are all white, and Horatio is not. And as this is a fic from his POV, you get reminders of that in multiple ways. Uh, the code switching, Nick, that you mentioned, he Horatio outright talks about how he changes his accent to sort of fit the room. So there's, he's from the Bronx and he was raised speaking a certain way. And then he goes to Columbia and learns pretty quickly that he is going to speak a different way to be regarded by his professors. And then as they're on this fugitive road trip, he keeps reading the room um, to see like, what is the best possible way to make himself like amiable. Um, That's like one thing. It's also in, how the people at Elsinore Mansion treat him. There's a lot of times where he mentions, like, sort of um, him and other staff who are non-white, just sort of, as far as the white people in the manor are concerned, just sort of blending into the background and being nothing. There's people serving them, there's people patrolling rooms and keeping on guard, and Horatio talks about how people's eyes just pass right over him, mm-hmm. and sort of the ways in which he can... Um, insinuate himself in a situation because he will go unnoticed um i think that's such like an interesting like take on some of the things that happen in like a staged production of hamlet like there are other moments too that where this happens to characters who aren't horatio but i think there's often these moments where like a character will be caught up in thought and maybe sometimes that's like a soliloquy maybe it's sometimes just sort of like you as an audience are aware that they're very in their own head and they're sort of not aware of the things that are happening around them um and i think it like turns that very literal in the way that characters eyes like skip over horatio and like sometimes that's because they're like in their own head like soliloquizing like there's a moment at the beginning where like hamlet doesn't notice horatio for a moment and we can very much tell that it's like he's just completely in his own world but then there's these other moments where it sort of like uses that same like staging mechanism almost of having like a character who's very much like in the spotlight alone like other characters who are like sort of in the unlit background and turns that very much into, like, a commentary on, like, also, like, race and class and position that I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I really appreciate that the author not only included, like, mentions of race, but I think integrated it throughout the story. Even one of the most subtle ways that we um, understand Horatio's perspective is just that, like, every time a character is introduced, like, a lot of them are white. They're described as, like, the white man, the white woman. It's not just, like, an assumption. It's something that he notices about them. Um, or that he he's very conscious sometimes of the fact that he is, like, the only black person in a room or the only non-white person in a room. Um, so I really like that because I think, like, I appreciate that the author acknowledged that you cannot tell a story in this setting specifically that is not also a story at least a, a little bit about race. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to sort of go back to, we mentioned this a little bit, is, like, the series of letters that we get in, like, the middle of this fic. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, oh, boy. I mean, I could just talk for an hour about these letters alone. So I, I want to talk a little bit about these, like, letters in 
per, like in how they're written in like the story that they tell us. Um, but I also want to talk about how they're positioned in this fic. Mm. I think it's so precise and so effective. We get a letter at the very beginning that's written uh-huh. post the events of this fic. We we take it. Um, but then we get this series of letters in the middle of this fic that have been written pre this fic ever taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, it's while they're on their like fugitive road trip. And Hamlet is, like, pretty distraught after seeing a movie that sort of reminds him of his own family. And he asks Horatio to tell him a story. And instead of getting the story that Horatio tells Hamlet, we get this series of letters from Hamlet to Horatio the summer previous that basically, like, tell us about how in love they are and, like, tell us this, like, other piece of the story that we didn't get. And... They're so heartbreakingly beautiful, and Rita and Nicole have collapsed next <laughs> to me. So sad. But I think it's okay. Uh, sorry. One thing I should mention is that, like, we as readers know that we're getting these pieces of media and story in this order because Horatio put them in this order for mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so clever how these letters have been inserted in this moment. It's exactly mm. when we want more context for their relationship. And I think it also capitalizes on sort of what I was talking about, about bringing the reader in as a party member. Um, because we don't get to see the story that we assume Horatio tell Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Instead, we get the story that we were never supposed to see of Hamlet, like Hamlet's letters to Horatio. Mm -hmm. And then it just sort of jumps right back into the narrative. And I think it's just like, not only are the letters so freaking well executed and Mm -hmm. so heartbreakingly Mm -hmm. beautiful, the precision, which with, with which they are like wielded at us (laughs) in this moment. Well, also like, because Hamlet's last request too is like, Tell my story, Horatio. Yes. Because I, oh, I feel like... And this is Horatio fucking doing that. We know the whole yeah. time reading this that this is Horatio's version of the story that Hamlet asked him to tell. And it's so fucking tender. It's so horribly tender. Yeah. I am infuriated. Well, <laughs> is... Tell me a story not the most human thing you can ask another person? I think part of the reason why these letters wound me so deeply is something I said back at the beginning where there is something so intrinsically queer about them. Not just because they are like ostensibly like love letters to one another, but because there's something about um, carefully guarding and picking your words to show your affection for one another, but never outright stating how you feel or this love that you have. There is something about it that is to me, so so very queer like i have mm-hmm. seen this echoed in a bunch of queer stories um i think there's something about um for one maybe the safety of being mm-hmm. able to precisely pick the words you want to say there's something about not having to say this to someone's face and having yeah. um the safety of that removal in these letters there's a lot of um In these letters, a lot of the time um, when Hamlet says something that is fairly romantic or something along those lines, he puts in parentheses, joke. Joke. Um, There are a lot of, there are a lot of instances where he says joke or like, can you tell that I'm joking? Um, And it starts out like maybe not. It's just like, 
oh, Horatio, like, I'm, I don't know, like, he's complaining about something, and he, like, says something very dry and biting, and it's nothing to do with Horatio, and he says joke, and then the letters keep going and keep going, and the things that he starts, quote-unquote, joking about are his own feelings. Uh Um, We should go live together, just you and I, for forever, away (laughs) from all the masses, (laughs) haha, joke. There's one part where Hamlet is talking about the company he is keeping in the summer, and he says, treating them with the utmost disdain, of course, one should always take the opportunity to be Byronic. Come and be my Shelley, H, and escape with me to some castle out in the middle of nowhere to drink and laze about and be the talk of town. Don't care what the neighbors say. Don't care what you say, of course. How on earth am I supposed to survive another summer without running away with you? Fully intend to ignore your direst warnings as well as Laertes. In parentheses, don't make that face, darling. You knew I was impossible when you married me. <laughs> Hello? Also, like, so much of the letters, other than the, these small moments where we're like, fuck you, Hamlet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, are just detailing, like, what Hamlet's doing. It's like, he's going from Chicago to D.C. with his dad and, like, meeting with all of these politicians and there's stuff about Ophelia and there's stuff about his family. And then he signs off with these, like, horribly romantic <laughs> endings. The last one is yours, yours, who else but yours. Yeah. Just kill me. A lance to the heart. Like, he's, like the, the content of the letters are, like... I will see you soon because we're going back to school and also I've left DC. Yours, yours, who else but yours? <laughs> ah! Um, I also want to bring in a little bit of like a wilder reference. Let's do it. Because if me talking about the Bible in this podcast wasn't enough, let's talk about American Westerns. From okay. You? For me, what? never. I the two things I love the most are not stories about sort of reaching westward and also robots. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but this one doesn't have any robots in no. it, so you know, just reaching westward. Just reaching westward. Okay, so on their like fugitive road trip, they sort of go down towards the south first, and then out west. I think they state that they're following Route sixty six, which you know has a whole ton of like historical implications in and of itself, which we will not go into right now. <laughs> but um, they're basically like running out of money and funds and resources on their way through Texas, and they're very much aware of this fact. Um, and there was an element of sort of this desperate, like, push uh, to see how far they could go when they knew they didn't have that much more, like, rope left, basically, that I found really reminiscent of, like, a couple movies in particular, like, one being Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the other being, like, Thelma and Louise, Uh which I think are both stories um, that are, like, a little gay, let's admit it, but also very much about these two characters who are, like, on the run from something in the sort of style of, like, an American Western, Um, and they all know that there's, like, no getting out of this. Mm. Um, And... I think that there's something that I really liked about how this story pushed them west, but didn't give them, like, a whole ton of room to run. Yeah. That was just, like, really evocative for me, and I love that it was, like, in Texas, that it really, like, sort of capitalized on that, like, desert. That and It's this, like, contradiction between, like, the endless space and, like, knowing you can't escape something. Like, even when the landscape looks like you should be able to, like, when you can go forever but you also can't. I just love it. Okay. Um. (laughs) Because I think also like, like you were saying, it's, there's this inevitability about them getting caught. And I think part of that is because it's a piece of like literary fiction working with the cast of a play. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that, an abridged cast of a play, we're missing a bunch of characters um, in this fic that are like very small parts. Um, And I always 
as I was reading, felt this sense of almost claustrophobia where we know exactly who we're working with and we're not going to meet new people as we head along. So it very much felt like by the time they got to the end of this, um, this escapade, this journey, this escape, like, of course they were going to get caught because they're aside from all the people looking for them. Like they're the only other two people in the world mm-hmm. to this story. Oh, Nick. <laughs> and like, I think it's so interesting because the characters come to this agreement to just, like, wait. They run out of money, and instead of trying to figure out some other way to keep going, they're like, it's inevitable that we were going to get caught. Let's just wait it out. And, like, I also think it's really interesting, though, because, like, in other stories that we have, like Butch Cassidy or Thumb and Louise, where there is this sort of same – or these similar narratives – those two both end. Mm. Like, at this point where, like, the characters think that they can't go any further – they all die. Um, Hamlet and Horatio do not die in this moment. Anyway, that was like Brona's Western Tangent Corner. <laughs> um, I just thought it was really interesting. And I, I thought that it was really interesting to like, out of everything that you could insert into this fic, to insert sort of like basically like a Western in the middle of this like road trip to be like a fascinatingly like American choice. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. There was something that I kept thinking about as I got towards the end of this fic, um, and is part of the reason why it made me weep as intensely as it did, um, where I was thinking about how this is a story that you know, and you know exactly how it's going to end, and yet you're hoping against hope that it turns out differently this time. And I was reminded of the musical Hades Town, which, if you don't know the musical very briefly, it tells the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, which is the myth where... Orpheus, uh, the love of his life, Eurydice, she dies, he goes down into the underworld to get her back, and Hades says, okay, you can have her back, but here's the catch. You have to make this long, long trek out of the underworld heading forward, and she's going to follow behind you, but silently, and you're never allowed to look back and see if she's actually following you, and Orpheus goes through this harrowing journey and makes it just a few steps away from the land of the living. And as (laughs) Greek myths are wont to go, he, right on that precipice, he turns around and he looks and Eurydice was behind him the whole time, but because he didn't meet the requirements, she disappears forever and he doesn't get her back. Um, And in the musical, the musical, much like this fic, follows its source text and uh, it doesn't end happy. But still, as you're listening to the music or watching the show, you still find yourself just desperately hoping that maybe this time it'll turn out different. And it reminded me of the um, penultimate song in the show where some of the lyrics go, it's a sad song, it's a sad tale, it's a tragedy. It's a sad song, but we sing it anyway. Because here's the thing, to know how it ends and still begin to sing it again as if it might turn out this time. And it's just what I found myself thinking of as we got closer and closer to Hamlet's death scene where I was like, maybe this fic won't make him die. Maybe this is where something will be different, knowing, obviously, that, like, that's not how this story works. And in fact, like, that's not how I want this story Mm -hmm. to work. Like, I do, right? Like, oh, I would love this, like, happy ending for Hamlet and Horatio. But at the same time, the story would not be what it is if you gave that to them. Um... But I just, yeah, I just was really stuck on this idea of how well a narrative can be told to um, have you know the whole plot going in and still have you thinking and hoping that maybe it won't be exactly how you know, or maybe it won't be exactly what you think um, the ending is. Um, so 
The Undiscovered Country <laughs> is a deeply human and inherently tragic retelling of hit play Hamlet. Um, I love it a lot. I'm very grateful that we got the chance to read and talk about it. Um, I hope that you all get the chance to read it too, if you're interested at all, because I think it's really worth it. On that note of wanting you to always read the fix that we bring uh-huh. as recommendations here, <laughs> uh, we have an idea for something we want to do over this holiday season. Yes. Um, so as I'm sure you're aware, if you're in fandom, there are many, many fic exchanges. There are small ones. There are big ones. There are things like Yuletide. People are doing nano. There's lots of writing happening. We said that's so many words. People are already writing. <laughs> Let's not make them write anymore. No, no. But hey, you know what we could also be doing? We could also be reading recommendations from our friends and fellow BitClick community members. Oh my god! That's the dream! <laughs> um, and on that note, we're going to be doing a FitClick rec exchange. Um, Reed, do you want to explain how it's going to work? Yeah, sure thing. So, on the day that this episode is coming out, which is November 22nd, we're going to be putting up a Google form where you can sign up if you're interested. It's already out! Oh, wow. Go sign up. It's there. <laughs> Go do it. The magic of editing and time. <laughs> yeah. The um, magic of time travel. The magic of time travel. Uh, yeah. So signups will be open for two weeks, and then we will pair everyone a few days after that. Um, we'll be asking people for sort of general likes and dislikes, fandoms that you might want Rex for. We're going to loosely follow what Yuletide does in which – you can give us specific things you don't want and tell us what fandoms you're most interested in. And then you can give us some other details, like maybe pairings you'd like or other things you'd like to see. Um, but given that this is probably going to be a small exchange, we can't guarantee that all of the things that you ask for will be um, met. But our idea is that everyone will do their best to at least follow like the fandoms you want and the absolute do not wants. You'll have a higher chance of getting what you want if all of your friends also sign up. Just <laughs> FYI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bully your friends into doing this. (laughs) Boost it. So yeah, we'll give you time to sign up. We will give you your recipient. Um, The idea is that you'll pick somewhere between three to five fics that you think they might enjoy. Um, Maybe a bonus fic or two if the person says that they're open to receiving fic for a fandom they did not mention or just something really out of left field where you're like, I don't know if my recipient will like this, but I sure do. Or so I tell every single person I know to read this fic. I tell exactly. strangers on the street. Exactly. <laughs> read this I fic. I shout it from the rooftop. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you add that in as a bonus. Um, so we'll give you a recipient. Um, all of the information about sort of the details of how this exchange will work are up on our Twitter now. Um, and we will send out the fix on January 1st. Woo! Um, ring in the new year with new some year, new recs. New fix. New fandoms, potentially. (laughs) Every year. Yeah. (laughs) New fix. Um, Yeah, so if that's something you might be interested in, go sign up on our Google forum. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this and thinking, oh, God, I love FitClick, but I forgot what their social media is. Where can I sign up? Uh, (laughs) Let me tell you. Uh, We are on Twitter at FitClick, and we are on Tumblr at FitClick.tumblr.com. General notes about our socials. Please talk to us. We're very friendly (laughs) and excited. Um, We have received a couple of reviews also of the show on Apple Podcasts, which is like 
thrilling and delightful. So if you have any things to say um, about or to us, please hit us up. Um, if you like this show, please do review it. It helps out a lot with like, you know, visibility and people seeing us. So we would love that. Um, but yeah, just keep on, keep on hitting us up. We're very cool and nice. <laughs> So, really quick, we should probably talk about what fix we'll be reading for next episode. Oh, yeah, we have another episode hey. after this. Oh, we should. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> this God. This is the end, folks. You thought Crazy. maybe we had just worn ourselves out with the undiscovered country, but alas, you're stuck with us. So, my pick is The Blow When It Lands by High Octane, and it is a polygon fic. Woo! I'm very excited about this one. It's a body swap AU. Um, <laughs> going with something a little more lighthearted. <laughs> and feeling good about it. Love that. Nick? Oh yeah, speaking of lighthearted. Just <laughs> kidding, mine's angsty, sorry. Um, my fic for next time is called Undressed. It's by AO3 user The Violinist. I can pronounce it this time! Yay! Woo! Please don't be like The Violinist or something. I'm gonna be so sad. <laughs> the Violinist. Um, and it is a One Direction RPF fan fiction. <laughs> I love that for you. Thank I am you. also doing RPF. Wow, it's an RPF <laughs> only episode. Real and people. You know what? It's Star Trek RPF. I'm a Star- <laughs> <laughs> I am a parody of myself for bringing Star Trek RPF before actual Star Trek. It's fic, amazing. But Star Trek fic will happen at some point once I find the one. <laughs> anyway, what we're doing? What what we we and I <laughs> am doing <laughs> for next episode is the love song of the North American douchebag by. Hit author Jism. Uh, I'm so freaking excited to talk about this fic. I've read it perhaps more than any other fic. Oh. Um, I love it. Wow. So. I'm excited to read all of these. Yeah, so stay tuned for those um, picks coming out on our next episode, which will be out December 6th. Yes. Um, yeah. Sign up for our rec exchange. Tweet at us. Um, love us love us validate us and read along (laughs) thank you so much for listening we love you we love you Bye. bye bye